The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. helping the uh, juniors and seniors kind of get ready for their transition out to college campus and just help them think about how they can kind of set themselves up to continue to grow in their faith after college. Uh, coming to New Year's conference, it's always a really special time for me. I actually met my now wife at a New Year's conference. Yeah, I know, I know. So actually, four years ago, uh, well, how do you say that? January 1st is the day we met four years ago. So I just wanted to share a little a bit about that story. So... You know, I'm working at registration, and I kind of see this girl walk by, and I was like, oh, who's that, you know? And I, I wanted to go talk to her, you know, obviously, you know, and, uh, but I was afraid that she was married, and I, I feel like my fear was, like, I would go talk to her, and then her husband would come up with, like, their kids and be like, yeah, I was uh, just, uh, oh, I got to go, you know? So I was like, okay, how can I figure out if she's married? And I was like, oh, she should have a ring on her finger, you know? So I was like, okay. So I look at her hand, and she's got like 10 rings, not 10 rings, that's an exaggeration, but a few different rings on her hand, okay? And I was like, what finger does the ring go on? <laughs> and, and so what do you do when you don't know the answer to something? You Google. So I Googled, what finger does the wedding ring go on? Okay, so I realized, oh, she's not married. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go out of my way to talk to her. And honestly, the, the conference was just busy. I didn't get to talk to her, and I kind of resolved. I was like, all right. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, we're not going to get to know each other, and I'm probably just going to go back to my hometown, and she's going to go her way, and that will be it. And uh, what's funny, though, is the last day, so after the last rally, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I see her. She's helping kind of pack up the stage and stuff with some people. And I was like, okay, this is my chance. <laughs> so uh, there's a few guys I had brought to conference. I said, hey, guys, we're going to help clean up. And I want you guys, I want you guys to go over there and you know take down those curtains or something. And I'm gonna go over here and help someone else. So I, I noticed that she needed help folding these stage curtains. So I went over and said, "Do you need help folding these?" And she's like, "Yeah, I do." Uh, and I was like, "Okay, great." And so we start talking. We talked for maybe ten minutes. I probably asked her like ten questions. You know, I was just asking her all these questions. And um, I found out that she lived with one of the campus outreach directors in Minnesota. And I knew him. He lived, uh, she lived in their basement. They were married, and she lived in their basement. So I was like, okay, all I have to do, his name is Paul Poteet. I said, all I have to do is talk to Paul, and he can tell me more about Lara. So leaving, leaving the ballroom, I'm thinking, i got to just go find Paul. So I go to leave to the parking lot, and I hop in the shuttle, and Paul is driving the shuttle. And so I'm like, dude, Paul. I was like, I just met Lara Watkins. And he's, he's like, yeah? I was like, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, well, is she single? And, and he's like, yeah, man, she is. Why? I was like, well, what do you think would be an appropriate way for me to, like, get in touch with her? And he's like, well, I could just give you her phone number. I said, that would be fine. <laughs> um, he gave me her phone number, and the next day I called her. And, uh, I mean, you can imagine the call. We talked for 10 minutes. So I call her, and uh, I said, hey, is this Laura Watkins? She's like, yeah. I was like, hey, this is Mike Caponegro. We met yesterday folding curtains at the conference. <laughs> and she goes, yeah? And, and I said, 
Well, the reason I'm calling is because I was wondering if you'd be interested in going out on a date with me if I came up to Minnesota. So I'm back in Illinois now. And she's, she's like, well, I mean, she, it was a, a little awkward. <laughs> but, but, you know, five seconds, she's like, well, yeah, I guess, like, when's the next time you're going to be in Minnesota? And I said, well, whenever we go on the date, because I, I don't have any business in Minnesota. <laughs> so, um, so the story went from there. I ended up driving up to Minnesota. And we went on a date. I thought it went awesome. She said she was like 80% no, 20% yes. And uh, she let me talk to her on the phone for two weeks. And after that two weeks, actually, um, that 80% no turned into, well, I'll give you a chance. And then from there, we were married actually three months later in March. So we got married in March. No, I'm so sorry. That, hang on, hang on, hang on. We got engaged in March. <laughs> and then we got... And then we got married in July. Then we got married in July. Oh, that's so quick. And then we got married in July. And now uh, we have a son, William, and we have a daughter on the way. We've been married for a little over three years, and it's been great. So anyway, I just want to share a little bit about myself. Uh, now you know me better. But uh, I'm assuming if you're here, you've read the little description and are interested about ambition. And so we're going to be talking about ambition today. Uh, some of the principles, if you can click the slide, some of the principles, actually most of the principles and stuff I'm going to talk about, I got in this book called Rescuing Ambition by Dave Harvey. So if you leave today kind of like, oh, that was interesting, I would just suggest that you read his book. So um, when I thought, when I think about ambition, and I just look over my life, I think back to my high school years. So that's me in the tie-dye shirt right there. So in high school, especially, and even in my early college years, when I think about ambition, I think about like a go-getter. Like I'm trying to be top of the class, you know, starting spot on the sports team, like I want to be successful, planning for my life years in advance. And that just wasn't me. Like, to be honest with you guys, the things I cared about most in life was getting high, playing video games, and uh, what was the other thing? It was just having a good time with my friends. And I really cared a lot about that stuff. And I invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money to get those things. And I did. And so when I thought about ambitious, I was like, uh, I'm just not the ambitious type. I'm not really a go-getter. But as I've learned more about ambition, and I've looked back on my life and reflected, I realized, you know what? I actually was, or I, I actually am ambitious. I was just ambitious for getting high, becoming good at video games, and hanging out with my friends. And the more I learned and understood what ambition was, I realized ambition can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. It's not like the, like when you think of the ambitious person, is like, it's not just the, I'm trying to be successful and really uh, you know, planning my life and so forth. It comes in many shapes and sizes. And I just wanted to read a definition of ambition because I think it will just make it very simple. So when you think about ambition, a dictionary definition is, it's just a strong desire to do or to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. And when you look at a definition like that, okay, so ambition, it's just a strong desire to do or achieve or to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. You can be you could be ambitious for just about anything in life. And and that's when you can begin to see it's like, oh, ambition comes in many shapes and sizes. And and what I want you guys to all understand is like we're all ambitious. We all have ambitions, even if you don't think you're the ambitious type. Uh, kind of like I did. Like, I didn't think I was very ambitious. I cared, like I said, you saw that picture. Um, and I want to read you a quote from Dave Harvey's book because I would like to ex 
explain a little bit just about the essence of like what really is ambition. We perceive something, prize it at a certain value, then pursue it according to that assigned value. This ability to perceive, prize, and pursue is part of our humanness, and it is the essence of ambition. I just want to take a few minutes and talk about how ambition works, okay? So the first is we perceive value, okay? So each one of us in this room, when we live our life, there are things that we ascribe value to, and we say, this matters to me. So for some of you, it may be, I want to get into med school. I want to get the, the top uh, or starting spot on my sports team. I want to get good grades. I want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, I want to be level 55 in Call of Duty. I, like, that's what it, it is funny, but it's like, like, you really care. Like, it's what you ascribe value to. And so for you to begin to think, what do I really value in my life? Because where you find that is you're going to begin to see, where are you ambitious? So you go from, we perceive value to things. We, yeah, we perceive value in things. And the things that we say, this is valuable to me, we begin to prize. And we say, this, this really does matter to me. You kind of collect the stuff and say, this is what I have deemed valuable in life. And after you've done that, then you begin to pursue those things. You begin to invest your time, your energy, money. Like you'll suffer to get the things that you really want. So as you sit here and think, okay, what are the things I'm ambitious for? And, and again, you can begin to see, you can be ambitious for just about anything. But for you to figure out, okay, what do I value in life? When I, the things that I value, I'm going pr to prize. And whatever I prize, I'm going to go after. And that's kind of the essence of what ambition is, the things that you go after. And it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that we're all ambitious because God created us with ambition. It's a good thing. It's not bad to have a motivation or drive to do things. It's something he created Adam and Eve with in the garden. And so the things that Adam and Eve were ambitious for was to bring glory to God. And what I mean by that, it would be, if you looked at Adam and Eve's life, they would have pointed you to the greatness of God. They would not have been drawing attention to themselves. It wasn't a, look at me, look at how great I am, look what I can do. It was, look at how great God is. Worship him, don't worship me. Okay, and so their ambitions in life, they had a drive to do that, to bring glory to God. And everything that they did, word, action, thoughts, deeds, their ambitions, was to bring glory to God. They cared very much about that, and they just did it. And sadly, though, is that sin ruined ambition. So when Adam and Eve sinned, and they were separated from God, it affected ambition as well. It affected everything in their life. And so one of the ways that you can begin to see this is it, it started to be... Like, as Adam and Eve, as they multiplied and people began to fill the earth, their ambition became less about, look at how great God is, and look at how great I am. Look at what I can do. Look at me. And so they, be, they begin to have this drive in life to make much of themselves. And it became less about making much of God. And one of the ways that you can see this very evidently right in Genesis is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Tower of Babel. But God created, man, he, he told them, I want you to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over my creation. That's what I want you to do. And if you're familiar with the story, you would know they disobeyed God. And instead of listening to him, what they did instead was they said, we're going to get together 
and we're going to make this huge city and this great tower to our own great name so that people will see our tower and city and they'll say, look at how great those people are. How could they have accomplished and achieved something so great? And so they disobeyed God and they wanted to make a name for themselves. So you can begin to see how sin ruined ambition. It became less about bringing glory to God and more about bringing glory to themselves. And so, as a result, uh, as a result of that happening, we've been affected by that. Is sin, like, like the idea of, and this is where I'll use the term selfish ambition, is your, the things that drive us in life, things we're motivated to do, a lot of times they're selfish. It, it really is about me. It's about me making a great name for myself. And, uh, yeah, I'll read this quote for me. It's another quote from the book. Um, it says, ultimately, sin moves self to the center of our desires and dreams. Rather than promoting God's, God's order and glory, we become relentless self-promoters. So you can see God created Adam and Eve with ambition. Sin ruined ambition. And, and now humanity, we care more about glorifying ourselves than God. And that's trickled down to us, and it's impacted us as well. So we have selfish ambitions. We care about making a name for ourselves, and, and we can do that in a lot of different ways, as I kind of started off by talking about. I just kind of wanted to share a couple indicators so you can kind of figure out, where, where do I have selfish ambition in my life? So I just want to read a few things that could be indicators for you. Uh, it's just this strong desire of wanting others to think highly of me. Like, I want people to have a very, very high view of me and hold me up. I want to be remembered as being really great or being the best. Or this one, I think, affects just about everyone, is I want other people to approve of me and say, and say in a way, in a roundabout way, you matter. And I want others to validate me so I know, oh, I have, my life matters. I have meaning and worth. And so I strive and work to get that, that like, kind of stamp of approval and acceptance or the recognition. And it's just this idea, again, of wanting to stand out from others. Um, there's a few more I wanted to list that will come up on the slide. Is um, Again, these are just, could be indicators. Just, I don't know if you're like me, but there's times you're just thinking great thoughts about yourself, like how awesome I am in, in different ways. And I was like, what am I thinking this for? Like, but it's a real thing. It's like, I really think I'm, I'm great. And that, that's an indicator of like, why do you think you're so great? Like, I have this desire. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm awesome. Or, or jealousy. Have you ever, it's interesting that you would be jealous of others when they succeed. Because I think there's an, an aspect of that, like, it takes away from the credit I could get. When others succeed, I can't get as much of that, and it takes away from me. So I get jealous. and be like, I don't like that you're getting recognition and credit because I want that for myself. Or comparing ourselves to other people. It's like, well, I'm not that. I'm not as bad as you, and I don't have to be the greatest. So I'm okay with where I am. Like, it's just the idea of like, well, why are you so concerned of comparing yourself to, to someone else? Um, and the last one may seem like it doesn't fit, but just overworking. I think an indicator of being kind of having selfish ambitions that you overwork, you never rest, because you think, I have to accomplish this, I have to succeed this, and be, succeed, and because of that, I'm willing to run myself into the ground to get what I really, really want. So that's not an exhaustive list, and I hope some of those will connect with you a little bit, 
for you to see like, oh wow, I, I really do have selfish ambition in my life. I just want to read from you a, a verse from the book of James. It says, for where, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And, and really just the thing I want you to take away from that is wherever you find selfish ambition, oftentimes there's other sin with that. Like jealousy or gossiping or lying. And so that's just a takeaway for you to see. Like a lot of times those things uh, kind of come with one another. And, and before we transition, the last, the last thing just to summarize, when you think of selfish ambition, it really is just a statement of like, look at me. Look at me. And it, it's not about look at God. It's look at me. Again, that idea of the Tower of Babel. Look at this great city and tower that we built. And, and that's kind of at the essence of selfish ambition. And as we've been talking about for the first two rallies, though, is that there's hope in the gospel. For Christians, there is tremendous hope. And for non-believers, there's hope for you in the gospel because the gospel sets us on a new path. I want to talk about a few ways of how the gospel sets us on a new path and how that impacts the way that we view ambitions in our life. I'm going to read a passage to you from Colossians. It says, so the author, he's writing to Christians, and he says this to them. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The one thing I just want to point out to you from that verse is when, when the writer says, God took our record of debts, our record of sin, and he nailed it to the cross and he canceled it. And so when we look at the gospel, what we find is all of the sins, and this is what Pastor Mack was teaching us about this morning and yesterday is, all the sins that you find that you have committed in your heart and in your mind, like Christ really has paid for all of that. It's like if you had a whole, like your whole rap sheet, your whole life just continually racking up. And Christ took it and he nailed it to the cross and he paid for it so that when God looks at you, there's, there's no sin on it. And there's something to really rejoice in that because it's like when you begin to understand sin more, I mean, just even for example, this has been just hitting me the past few weeks as I look at this verse, Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, when you insult people, like when you make attack on someone's character, it's the same as murdering. I was like, really? It's like when you insult someone, when you have like anger towards someone, that's the same as murdering. And I thought, I'm murdering people all the time. Like if that's really what it's like, like, you know what I'm saying though, in my heart, I was like, whoa, like I have all sorts of anger and bitterness and resentment towards people. I was like, Okay, this is not okay. But what it did for me is to open is like, whoa, this sin too, Jesus has paid for. And so I just want to, to start, when we look at the gospel, you can go back off that slide. Um, it's, the first point is that, that Christ has paid for our debt, okay? And you're going to hear that a lot because it's a very familiar part of the gospel. The other part of the gospel that I wanted to look at, which is, I don't know if it's less familiar, but it doesn't get talked about as much. And, and actually, Pastor Mac talked about this morning, which was great, is that Christ gives us his righteousness. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about this because it's very important. And it's going to be important about when you begin to think about ambition. This is a verse from the book of Romans. It says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 
And it's just the idea that because of Adam's sin, everyone became unrighteous. But now because of Christ's obedience, those who trust him will be made righteous. And it's, it, this is what it is. It's not only does Christ pay for our sin, but because he lived a life of perfect obedience to God, both in action, in thought, in deed. Like when you think about Jesus, like he never had like that you know, the hateful thoughts or bitterness or resentment or lust. He never gossiped or told a lie. Like, like he lived a perfect life to God so that when he died, it's like he would have achieved salvation by works. Like, he lived a perfect life. And, and so there's a switch that takes place. Is not only does Christ pay for our sins, but he also gives us his righteousness. And that is so important to understand because it's not that Christ just looks at you as forgiven but he looks at you as positively righteous because the life that Jesus lived is transferred to you. And that really, I mean, that changes everything. And I want to show, share an illustration that I think will even make, hopefully make a little more sense. I'm imagining most of you will graduate with college debt. Some of you might graduate with 120000 I don't know if that's you. Uh, but the idea is, okay, you graduate, you have debt to pay. Now imagine someone came to you and they cut you a check for $120,000. So they pay for your debt. Okay, so you go to zero. And that's kind of compared to like when Christ pays for your sins on the cross. You go to zero. It's like, okay, there's no sins counted against me. But now when you think about the righteousness of Christ being transferred to you, it's like the same guy were to write you a check for $10 million dollars. And now you just cashed a check for $10 million, and you just went from being in debt to now extremely wealthy. So the gospel, it's not just only that Christ forgives you of your sin, but he also, you are credited with his righteousness, like when God sees you. That's why we have the right to be called children of God. That's why when Christ sees us, or when God sees us, he sees us as holy and blameless. Not just sinless, but perfect. We've been perfected by Christ. And all the things that Christ earned, like all the inheritance, all the riches that belong to Christ, he's given to us, the Christians, so that we have an inheritance. And that radically impacts, when you think about the gospel, it's like, oh, it's not only that I've been forgiven. Like, I actually possess something now. I'm very wealthy. There's a verse in, uh, in Corinthians that says, uh, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so the thing, I just want you to take away it's simple, is not only has Christ paid for my sin, but he's credited me with his righteousness, his life that's been applied to us. And this truth is going to change the way you think about your life, the things that you're ambitious for, the things that you live for. And before I talk about, I'm going to just talk about a few practical ways I want to share one more illustration because I think for me, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Um, I think the Super Bowl is coming up in a few months. I'm not a huge football fan, but uh, imagine you're watching football with your friends, okay? And you have a team that you're rooting for. And you know how people talk when they have a team. They say, like, oh, yeah, we're not doing good. Like, we're passing the ball bad. We're not blocking. Like, all this stuff. It's like, what do you mean we? Like, you know, you're in your recliner with a beer, and you're talking like you're out on the field and even on the practice. But it's just natural. You say, we, 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 we. Okay, but you're not really in the game. You're just a spectator, okay? But if you, that's radically different to if you really were a player. So now imagine yourself being a player on the field. 
you're lining up, okay? You've done all the practice, you have all the plays. Like, what you do on that field has a direct impact to what happens in the game. Like, it matters now. You're in the game. And that's what the gospel does, is it puts you in the game. Like, you're not a spectator anymore. Like, your life, it matters. The things you do matter. The things you think about matter. And that directly connects to ambition, because we're talking about what are you living your life for? Like, what are the things that you're saying, this has value, and I'm pursuing it with everything I have? And I just want to say to you is that, like, you live, if you're a Christian, you live to God. Like, you're in the game. It matters what you, it matters what you do. And so I hope just perspective-wise, it's like, oh, whoa, like, like, something very real has happened when I put my faith in Christ. And that's why I want to spend so much time talking about the gospel, because at the heart of when you think about ambitions, it's like at the heart is like we, a Christian has been changed radically, and that impacts how they think about their ambitions in life. So I want to introduce you to this concept of godly ambition, is that the gospel enables you to live with godly ambition. And I just want to read a, sh a short blurb of godly ambition is this idea that my life's pursuit is to bring God glory. It's to seek God's glory in everything I do. So, whereas the people who made the Tower of Babel were saying, this is all about me, look at me. And if you take a close look at your ambitions, and you realize, oh, there's actually a lot of me going on here. I'm really concerned about me, me, me. The gospel enables you to say, it's not about me. It's about God. And when you look at me, I want you to look, and your, your view is like redirected, like, who's your God? Why do you live that way? Why do you talk that way? Why do you do what you do? And in doing so, you're making much of God. And so the gospel enables you to live a life like that, to make much of God. And I want to talk about three ways that it does that. So the gospel rescues our motives. So apart from God... Oftentimes, our ambitions in life, the things that we're driven to do, are oftentimes, a, like, we're, we're seeking approval. We want others to be like, you matter. Like, validate our life. And, and so it can be an endless kind of strive. Like, I just need someone to tell me, like, I have value and worth and validate me. And so we live for approval from others. In the gospel, though, because the righteousness of Christ has been, has been given to you, if you're a Christian, God already approves of you because he approves of Christ. So you don't have to strive and toil and work to earn anybody's approval in life because the approval of God's approval of Christ is, is given to you. So God approves of you no matter what you do in the sense of like you could fail at the things you're working at and it's okay. Like, you don't have to earn God's approval because it's been given to you in Christ. And that should, I think, when you think about it that way, it almost frees you up because you're like, wow, like, I could really strive and work and dream in my life and work really hard, and if I fail, it doesn't change who I am. And if it doesn't work just the way that I wanted it to go, it doesn't change who I am. Like, you're approved of by God, and, and that changes your motive of, like, of ambition. And even just on another, on another note about that is that um, you can be ambitious. Actually, this is my second point I'm, I'm going over. Is, uh, another way the gospel affects 
or impact how you should think about ambition is that we're empowered to obey God. Um, so again, before Christ, you were not able to obey God. And, and now, as you think about your life, as you're working towards like college degrees, you're thinking about your careers and your future, like you're going to kind of, you're going to hit bumps. Like you're going to want something to go a certain way and it's not going to go the way you want it. Or you're going to fail or you're not going to get the credit or maybe, uh, yeah, credit or maybe acknowledgement from others that maybe you even rightfully deserve. You're not going to get that. But one of the things the gospel does, it, it empowers you to obey God and imitate Jesus even when your ambitions don't go the way that you want in life. I think that's really important. Um, and again, we look to Jesus as the model. So if like a celebrity came in here, people would probably gather around them. Or maybe not in this room, but you know what I mean, in this hotel. People would want pictures with them, autographs, and it's like, oh yeah, that person's so famous, like, you know, so they're getting all the glory and credit that they deserve. And you think about Jesus coming to earth, the one who created us, who holds our bodies together, who holds the whole universe together, and he comes to earth, and what happens? No one gathers around him. Well, not no, but you know what I mean. It's like, he, he got killed. He got mocked. He got nailed to a cross. Like, he, didn't, he got the opposite of what was rightfully his, yet through it all, he obeyed God. And that affects us, because as you're going through life, and you're striving after the things that are important to you and in your ambitions, when it doesn't go your way, we're still called to obey God through it all. And even just a question, I mean, just point blank to ask yourself is, are you even ambitious to obey God? Like, is that something you really care about? Like, in you, like, I really, I'm making it my life to obey God. One of the things that God cares a lot about, it, it's not so much about what you can do for him. He cares about you becoming more like Christ as you're pursuing your ambitions in life. He cares about you becoming like Christ as you're trying to bring glory to him. And that changes how you should think about success. Because so much is God, and I, I think the, just our theme for the conference is that God wants to be with us. Is he, wants to, he wants me and him like this as I'm going through my life. And when things are going my way, he's changing my heart and making me more like Christ. And I would ask you that. Are you, even, are you ambitious to become more like Christ? Like, would you say that's something that you're, like, striving for? Like, I want to be more like Jesus, and I want to obey him. Is that even on your list? And I would say if it's not, it's worth rethinking. Like, maybe I should really consider what does it look like for me to be ambitious for God? And in doing so, I think you bring glory to God. And then the last thing I just want to say before I wrap up is that the gospel enables us to have true joy in our ambition. Oftentimes... Our selfish ambitions in life just lead to anxiety or depression or letdowns or we're just placing so much value in like I have to get this thing or even our ambitions are directed the wrong way and it's like I'm ambitious to become level 55 in Call of Duty it's like you know video games aren't evil but you were made for more than that like you were made for way more than that and and the reason the gospel brings us joy is because it's like God created you personally and he gave you real gifts and talents. And there's things about you that are unique. And he wants you to use those things to bring glory to him so that others look at your life. And it's like you're making much of God in your life. 
And I think, I believe, there's something that should incite, like, joy in you about that. Like, oh, like, I was created with a real purpose. I really was. And so I think that's just one way. And I think it can be very fulfilling and satisfying to live a life knowing, like, okay, God created me, and he wants, to, he wants me to work to bring him glory, to be ambitious to bring him glory. And... Uh, Yeah, I think that's all that I'll say about at least the gospel enabling you to have joy as you go through your life. And so just in wrapping up, when we think about um, perceiving value in things, okay, kind of to come back to perceiving value, do you perceive value in God's glory, like in his greatness? Is that even something that to you is like, this is important to me. Like, I want to make much of God with my life. Is that even some, Is that even a thing for you? Because, again, when you think about ambition, we, pers- we pursue the things that we assign value to in life. And if you don't have a high value for the glory of God and bringing greatness to his name, you're not going to pursue that in your life. You're just going to kind of go your own way, whether that's, you know, just seeking uh, a relationship or, or trying to be good at video games. Or even on the other end, if you're trying to, like, build your own business or, like, you know, get into med school, or be a doctor, be a dentist, or it could be anywhere in between, but it's like, is your life pursuit all about you? And, and you just have to really evaluate, like, well, if I perceive value in the glory of God, I can still do some of those things, but it's not about making a great name for myself. It's showing how great God is in it all. And so when we live with godly ambition, we actively seek, we actively seek to use our time, our talents, our gifts and abilities to bring glory to God. We seek actively to obey him, especially in the little moments in life and when people aren't watching. We make it our ambition to obey God. And we seek to do great things to bring God glory. It's like you can step out and and your ambition life is bigger than just making a great name for yourself. And so that's what I hope you at least leave this time thinking. It's like, wow, like I want to bring glory to God in all that I do. And, and when I think about my ambitions, I just, I want to make it my ambition to do that. Um, so let me pray for us before we go. Um, I appreciate your time. Yeah, one second. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us. Um, I think all of us in, a, in this room would openly confess that uh, there's many sin in our, there's much sin in our life. And a lot of times we're seeking to bring glory and fame to our own name in many different ways. And it is just such a privilege that you would extend mercy to us and allow us and enable us to have ambition in our life and that it's not a bad thing for us to have ambition. But I just pray that we would direct it and make it our own ambition to bring glory to you in our life, whether we're teachers or sports coaches or doctors or missionaries or Whatever, God, I just pray that we would seek to bring glory to you in our life and that we would be ambitious to obey you and to become more like Christ. I thank you for this time. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.